Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Hear the word of the Lord. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One thing that both believers and unbelievers have in common is a certain disgust for religious leaders who take advantage of their position in order to benefit themselves and in order to abuse other people. And I did a search, I'm not going to mention any names, but I did a little search this last week about religious leaders who have uh, gotten into trouble because of their abuse of others uh, for their own benefit. And that, that is something that, that causes both believers and unbelievers disgust and distress. For believers, particularly if they are our leaders, we feel personally betrayed, and we also are incensed because of the reputation that they are giving to the world of all of us. Unbelievers have a general idea that religious leaders should be about serving others, and so they are appalled at the hypocrisy But sometimes it seems that they're secretly or even openly delighted when religious leaders fall into scandals because it seems to justify their own irreligion and they can say, see, that's how Christians are. Now, um, as we saw last week, the priests and the people in the time of Malachi were in a spiritual low point. They had all the institutions set back up for the worship of God, but they were engaged in cutting corners, in religious cheating, as it were, and we see that some of it was probably so the priests could eat better. It was for their own benefit. Now, this is the continuation. This section really goes along with what we saw last week. It's the continuation of the message. And here it's directed not to the people, but it's directed directly to the priests. And there are two rebukes here. 
And we're going to find out that these two rebukes have to do with the two principal functions of the priesthood. And they were failing in both of these functions. So the first rebuke is in verses 1 to 5, and the second rebuke is in verses 6 to 9. And the first rebuke is a continuation of what we saw last week. They were offering impure offerings. As we saw last week, that there are requirements for offerings, and they had to be without blemish, without fault, perfect animals. And they were cutting corners, and they were offering other sorts of animals And they were allowing that to happen. Now, this begins with a direct message to the priest. And now, O priests, this command is for you. And we ask the question, what command? To which command is it referring? This command is for you. And there are a couple of different ideas. One is the whole command that we're going to be talking about, which is later called the covenant of Levi, or the covenant with Levi. That is to say, this whole command of the priesthood is for you, and you're abusing the whole thing. And that was true. Or it could be this command, that is, that which I'm about to say to you. And either way works in this context. But he says, this command is for you. And what follows is a conditional curse, a conditional curse. A conditional sentence has an if part, and then it has a then part. And there's a if part of this, and then the then part of this is a curse. If you don't do this, if you continue to do this, then this is what is going to happen. So it's a conditional curse. Not necessarily going to happen. It depends on the response of the priests. Now, the primary fault of the priest is what we saw last week. And that is, they did not honor God's name. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 6, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear or reverence? And then if you look at chapter 2, And now, O priest, this command is for you. And then verse 2, If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name. That's the if clause. And we saw last week how they were dishonoring God with their impure sacrifices. Now he says, If you do that, if you will not honor my name, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord of troops, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. He says, I will send the curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. So, blessings are favorable things from the Lord, and I will turn the favorable thing into an unfavorable thing from the Lord. Now, what is the blessing here? And once again, there's some different interpretations, either of which really work in this context. Some say that the blessing was the whole Levitical, uh, the Levites' priesthood, that they had that blessing. To be priests was an amazing blessing. They were chosen from all the tribes of Israel to be the ones who led the worship of the Lord. And so it may be that God was going to take their privileges of being priests and flip them and make them a curse. And if if the priests are cursed, then the whole nation is cursed because they're the religious religious leaders. Or it could be, if you go back to Numbers chapter 6, 
there is what's called the, the blessing of Aaron. And the sons of Aaron, who was the high priest, the brother of Moses, the descendants of Aaron were the priests, and the rest of the Levites were temple servants. And there they were to put God's name on the people. The Lord bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. The Lord lift up His His countenance upon you and give you peace. They were given this blessing to give to the Israelites. And some people think that what He's saying here is that He's going to take that blessing that the that the sons of Aaron were to pronounce on the people and He's going to reverse it. He's going to make it just the opposite. They may pronounce it, but it's going to come out just the opposite. But which either either interpretation says that things are going to be flipped on their heads if the priests do not respond. And then he goes on and he says what he'll do explicitly to the priests and their descendants. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. The word is seed. And in this context, it probably does not have to do with with seeds planted, although some interpret it that way. But probably it has to do with their their seed, their, their progeny, their offspring. And by saying, indeed, um, I will curse your seed, your offspring, probably means that he will diminish them. They will become less and less, fewer and fewer. And he says, um, in verse uh, 3, I will rebuke your offspring. And then he says, I will spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. Actually, instead of offerings, of your feasts. And there were three annual feasts. And during those feasts, they offered more sacrifices than in the rest of the year. So if, if that's how we should read this, I will uh, spread on your face the dung or the waste of your feasts. That's when there would be more waste than ever. So this is, this is grotesque. This is gross. This is very graphic. And it could be dung or it could be the entrails with the dung in the entrails. But however that might be, He's talking about defacing the priests, defiling the priests, smearing them with waste all over their face with an excessive amount of animal waste. And then, in addition, he says, the dung of your offsprings are feast, and you will be taken away with it. Now, what happened to the the waste material of the animals that were offered in sacrifice. Well, it was removed and it was taken outside the camp and it was burned up because it was unclean and it had to be had to be taken away and destroyed in that way. And so when he says, I will smear the waste on you and I will take you away with it, we get the idea that God will take them, the priests, outside the camp to the dump and they will be destroyed along with this waste material. This is is a very severe conditional curse that he is pronouncing upon them. And what it amounts to is the end of the priesthood. If the priests are defiled, they can't do their job. If the priests are burned up, they can't do do their job. If if the priests' uh, descendants diminish in number, so there aren't enough. They, they can't do their job. And so this is a very severe curse. It's, it's talking about removing the priesthood from Israel. Now, why did God speak to them this way? In verse 4, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi 
may stand, says the Lord of hosts. What was, what was God's desire in sending this very harsh rebuke to the priests? That they would respond and that they would continue and that the covenant he made with Levi would keep going. It wasn't in order to destroy them. It was in order to rebuke them and bring them back so that they could continue in the ministry to which God had called them and that he had entrusted to them. Now, we have an expression here a couple of times, which is the covenant with Levi or the covenant of Levi. And there is never in the history of uh, like Genesis, for example, there is no mention of a covenant with Levi in these terms. And if we go back and we ask the question, well, who is Levi? And when did this covenant take place? If you go back and you look at Exodus, I'm sorry, Genesis 49, 5 to 7, we're not going to read it, but Genesis 49, 5 to 7, at the end of his life, Jacob, who had these 12 sons, he was blessing his sons. And he was, he was doling out a blessing to different sons. When he gets to Simeon and Levi, it's not a blessing. It's a curse. And he says, you are violent. And they were violent. They, they murdered people. Uh, taking vengeance for the, the filing of their sister Dinah. And so he says, you're violent men. And he says, you will be scattered in Israel. And that's exactly what happened. Simeon didn't have its, his own territory. They were scattered throughout someone else's, another tribe's territory, Judah. And Levi didn't have his own territory either, but for another reason. We go to Exodus, and God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, but he took a long time up there on that mountain. And so the people got antsy, and they said, maybe he's not coming back. And so they said to Aaron, Aaron, Moses is gone, and so we need a God some God brought us this far and we need a God to take us on, so would you make a God for us? And, and Aaron fell into this and the famous golden calf, that, or this idol that was made, and then Moses comes down and he finds the people in complete chaos. Complete chaos. And Moses said, Who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites responded, The Levites came to his aid, and he was a Levite as well. They came to Moses' side, and they enabled him to put order back into the camp. And so, God says, I choose the Levites. They will be the ones who are the ones who serve in my tabernacle, who serve in my temple, and from whom the priesthood will descend. And so... We get to Malachi and refers to the covenant with Levi. And a covenant is a, an agreement, a, a contract, although it's not like a, an equal contract in this, this case. It's God the Sovereign uh, di- dictating the terms to Levi and saying, this is what you will do. But it was a tremendous blessing. The descendants of this violent son of, of Jacob, they became the ones who were the ministers in God's house. So, this is the covenant with Levi. God set them apart. He rewarded them with the priesthood and the temple service. Now, what's this covenant about? He says, verse 5, My covenant with him was one of life and peace. That's the purpose of this covenant. It's to, it's to give life. It's to give peace. This was the past path to peace and to life for the people. And on their side, we see that God through the Levites would give life and peace. And then it says it was a covenant of fear 
and he feared me, he stood in awe of my name. And so, two sides of the covenant, God gives life and peace through the covenant, and Levi and his descendants respond in fear and in awe of God's name. And that's exactly what was lacking here. They had, as we often say today, they had one job to do. One job. And that was to fear God and to honor God, to honor His name. They had one job and they were failing at that job. Now, that's the first part of the rebuke. But in addition to offering sacrifices, we find something out here that is not so prominent in the rest of the Old Testament, but it's there. And now when we hear it, we say, oh yes, I've seen that all through the Old Testament. And that's this, that priests not only offered sacrifices, but they also were teachers. They were teachers. And they were specially teachers about questions of holiness, questions of purity. So we think of we think of prophets as the ones who preach. And we find that through Israel. But the, the prophets were the, the charismatic, uh, directly inspired of the Lord, occasional preachers whom God raised up for urgent situations, and they came, like Malachi, and brought a message, and then kind of passed off the scene. The Levites were the day-to-day, what do I do about this? We'll go to the Levites, because they're the experts in the Word. And they, they will tell you, they will teach you, they will instruct you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And what were they to do? Verse 6 says, true instruction, the word is Torah, true law, was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, it says here, that he had these things to do. Offer sacrifices, teach the people, and walk in uprightness. Walk in uprightness. Now, um, it says that if he would do that, if he would do that, and by the way, when it talks about that he was doing that, this seems to be like an idealized priest here. Uh, One who, who taught uprightly, one who walked uprightly, and when he would do that, He turned many away from iniquity. That's how it worked, and that's how it works. When we have a teacher, when we have a teacher who teaches truth and walks in integrity, the result is that people are turned away from sin and turned to the Lord. And that's what the the priests were to do in their day. And... They did that at different times, better or worse. And there were times when they did it very well, and Malachi is remembering that time. And it calls here the priest, the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, this, uh, this translation, messenger of the Lord, uh, the word messenger and the word angel, it's the same word. And so, many times in the Old Testament, we find this expression about the angel of the Lord, The angel of the Lord usually is an angelic creature. A couple times this is used to refer to a prophet, and this is the only time that this is used to refer to a priest, that the priest is an angel or a messenger of the Lord. 
But with that very, very high calling, he says, verse 8, here's the problem. You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So, they were neither teaching truth, nor were they living uprightly. And so, instead of bringing people from sin to the Lord, they were turning people away from the Lord toward sin. The exact opposite of what they were supposed to be doing. So, he says once again, I will abase you, I will embarrass you, I will make you ashamed publicly before all the people. Now, um, how did this end? How did this end? And this is the rest of the story. And part of it depends on when this message was given. But many, and I think it's safe to say most scholars of Malachi, think that it was these messages took place around 460 B.C. 460 B.C. There's another possibility which is about 420, which is later. Remember when we're B.C., you count backwards. So, uh, 460 is before 420. Um, but many think it was before uh, Ezra and Nehemiah showed up in Jerusalem. Now, we're bringing in lots of names here, and lots of things that happened in the history of Israel, but there are two books, originally one book, Ezra and Nehemiah, and this took place after the people had come back from Babylon. Persia was the great superpower, and the Persians sent uh, Ezra and sent Nehemiah back. Ezra was a what? He was a priest. He was a priest. He was like the kind of priest that's described here. He, he taught truth and he lived uprightly. Nehemiah was a governor and he also was zealous for the law of the Lord. And what we find, this one-two punch with Ezra and Nehemiah, they both worked on reforming what? The priesthood. And if that's the case, then very unusual for the prophets. Very unusual for the prophets. If that's the case, if our dating is correct, that Malachi preached right before Ezra and Nehemiah showed up, Malachi's preaching worked. And that's very unusual for the prophets. Because many of the prophets preached to people who would not listen and brought destruction upon themselves. But if our dating is correct here, Malachi's words worked and the priesthood was reformed. And in fact, the priesthood lasted another 500 years. Another 500 years. So so the preaching worked. The priesthood was reformed. However, However, by the time of Jesus... So we're talking 460 years after this, or 490 years after this. By the time of Jesus, the priesthood had once again fallen into ruins. It was there, all right. And they had this this temple that was even better than the temple in Malachi's day, because Herod had rebuilt it. It was more glorious. And they, they had political power. They had connections. They had wealth. The priesthood seemed to be doing well, but they had turned aside from their functions. They had turned the the courts of the temple into a marketplace 
from which they could get revenue. They were in league with, with the, the Romans and were, were sacrificing their principles to, to be in league with the Romans. And we find that there were no harsher critics and opponents of Jesus than the chief priests. And they're the ones who manipulated and cut corners and cheated in order to to bring Jesus to trial and to to bring Jesus under condemnation and to bring Jesus to death. And they're the ones who clamored for Jesus' death when when Pilate was wanting to release Jesus. And they, they stirred up the crowd and said, No, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Release for us Barabbas. And when Pilate said, What should I do with Jesus? The answer was, Let him be crucified. And that was instigated, instigated by the priests. And then the apostles as well. They were, they, were, they were persecuted by the chief priests. Now, this is what we find in the days of Jesus. And when we see what they were able to do with Jesus, it, it, looked, like, it looked like they won, didn't it? it? It looked like they were triumphant over Jesus. They, they, they sacrificed Him so they could keep their power and keep their position and not have problems with the Romans. That's what it looked like for a little while. It looked like that for three days until Jesus rose from the dead. And it looked like that for another maybe 40 years. But things went worse and worse and worse for Israel and the priesthood until the Romans would put up with them no longer. They came and under the general Titus, They destroyed Jerusalem, they knocked down the temple, and there has not been a temple since then. So, by condemning Jesus, the priesthood actually secured its own destruction. And by condemning Jesus, ironically, the priesthood made itself obsolete. Because with Jesus being sacrificed, Jesus is, as we saw last week, the perfect high priest, who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And so by causing that to happen, the chief priests not only inherited the curse of the day of Malachi, that that conditional curse finally fell upon them. And by the way, the the priesthood can never be reconstituted. The priesthood is hereditary. And there is no one alive, nor will there be anybody alive, who can prove that he is a descendant of Levi and a descendant of Aaron. It cannot be reconstituted. The curse of Malachi has fallen upon the priesthood. It is no more. But the good news is this. It served its purpose in its day. It was a shadow of the good things to come. And it is now obsolete because the great high priest has offered himself once for all for the sins of all who will trust in him and in him alone. So while they, while they secured their own destruction, they also prepared the way for the great high priest in whom we must trust now at great sacrifice that is the only sacrifice sufficient to take away our sins. So, that aspect of their work no longer continues. Not needed. The the sacrifices, no more. They don't have to be offered. Jesus offered Himself. But, what's the other part of the priest's work? Instruction. And that part continues to this day. There are those in the church, in the people of God, appointed to be teachers. 
And this is what we should require and expect of our teachers. This is what, what you should expect and require and demand from me. Two things. That I and every other teacher would teach the truth of the Word of God that's been revealed in the Word of God. That's one. And that I and all other teachers in the church would live righteous lives. You see, that is the compelling combination that will bring people to the Lord and turn them away from sin. And it's not only for the teachers to have that integrity, but that's the winning combination for the people of God. It has been and it always will be. Not only our teachers, but all of us need to have that integrity in our lives, speaking truth and living uprightly. And I say this, I say this with personal experience. This is how I became a Christian. I had sort of kind of heard the gospel here and there. I maybe met some Christians along the way. But when in the context of a church, I saw these two things together. When I heard the word of God being preached, and when I saw integrity in people's lives, I said, if they are Christians, I am not, but I want what they have and that's the same today. It was what happened with me, and it's what will happen with many. It talks about that the Levites turned many from iniquity to the Lord. And that's what will happen as well. If we will, if we as the people of God in our day will speak truth and live in accordance with that truth. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that the eventual curse on the priesthood became a blessing for the world because while they disappeared, the great high priest did his work in offering himself for the sins of his people. And I pray for all of us hearing this message today through this church or any church as this message goes out around the world that that people would turn from sin and to Jesus and believe in him and trust in his sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And I pray for us who name the name of Christ, that we would do these two things, that we would speak truth to our neighbor, and that we would live uprightly in our lives, and that you would be pleased, O God, in our day, to use that simple, powerful combination to bring many to yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.